Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Let's get started. Did you know that on jamesmillerlifeology.com, you can enroll in the academy I created for listeners just like you? I've created courses you may take at your own pace, which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Enroll in one of the classes today. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to help you overcome your limitations. I'll also be interviewing actor and Hollywood stuntwoman Lisa Loving Dalton, who discusses how she overcame her limitations and became one of the experts in her field. I have some exciting news. Did you know that I'm on the radio three times a week? You may hear me on the same station on Tuesdays at 1.30 p.m., Fridays at 9.30 a.m., and Saturdays at 12.30 p.m. You may also hear me on iHeartRadio, as well as on all the other major podcasting platforms, such as iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many others. Simply search for the show name, James Miller Lifeology. A 10-year-old boy decided to study judo despite the fact that he had lost his arm in a devastating car accident. The boy began lessons with an old Japanese judo master. The boy was doing well, but he couldn't understand why, after three months of training, the master had taught him only one move. Sensei, the boy finally said, shouldn't I be learning more moves? The sensei replied, this is the only move you know, but this is the only move you'll ever need to know. Not quite understanding, but believing in his teacher, the boy kept training. Several months later, the sensei took the boy to his first tournament. Surprised at himself, the boy easily won his first two matches. Still amazed by his success, the boy was now in the finals. This time, his opponent was bigger, stronger, and more experienced. For a while, the boy appeared to be overmatched. Concerned that the boy might get hurt, the referee called a timeout. He was about to stop the match when the sensei intervened. No, the sensei insisted. Let him continue. Soon after the match resumed, his opponent made a critical mistake. He dropped his guard. Instantly, the boy used his move to pin him. The boy had won the match and the tournament. He was now the champion. On the way home, the boy and the sensei reviewed every move in each and every match. Then the boy summoned the courage to ask what was really on his mind. Sensei, how did I win the tournament with only one move? You won for two reasons, the sensei answered. First, you've almost mastered one of the most difficult throws in all of judo. And second, the only defense for that move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. The boy's biggest weakness had become his biggest strength. Overcoming Limitations We all have some sort of limitation in our life. Sometimes it's very obvious and sometimes not so obvious. What I really enjoy about lifeology is we're all linked together in so many ways. And a lot of those ways are simply by our emotions. Yes, the circumstances in which those emotions may be demonstrated are different, but we all experience the same thing. The world may tell you that you have a limitation, that you won't be able to achieve your highest goals. But if you believe it, then they're absolutely right. When you compare yourself to other people who may not have the limitation that you've been told you have, then you're going to feel as if you're less than. When you look all throughout history, you'll find many people that the world told that they weren't able to accomplish something because the world told them that they were less than based off of their limitations. For example, Helen Keller, you look at this woman who you think there's no reason for her to live. She's blind. She's deaf. But she found the workaround. She found her way to find her voice, if you will. And in doing so, she is a very prominent figure in our history. That's the same thing with you. When you try and do everything else that your peers do, because they may not have that limitation, then you are going to feel as if you can't do it. So the great thing about your situation is you get to pioneer a whole new way in how to do something. Because in doing that, you become the role model for people who have similar limitations. You become that pioneer that tells people, regardless of who you are today, regardless of what's happened in your life or what the world says you cannot do, you're showing them that they can do it. 
There is absolutely no reason that you could not fulfill your dreams and your goals unless you stop yourself. Yes, it may be more difficult to find the way in which to accomplish your dreams, but you are going to accomplish your dreams. Tenacity is one of the most important things you can have. Tenacity basically means you don't stop because you were told you can't do something. You have the wonderful opportunity to be able to be the pioneer and to be able to show all these people in your life and the people who don't even yet know you that it does not matter where you are in life, you can overcome any situation and to be able to reach your highest dreams. Did you know that I have a YouTube channel? That's actually how Lifeology started. I have well over 150 episodes that I've created specifically for you. I do know many people struggle with listening to a full 30-minute show, so these YouTube episodes are about three minutes long. Each episode teaches you one simple lesson that you can practice daily, which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Simply go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, and subscribe to my YouTube channel there, or go to youtube.com and search for my name, James Miller Lifeology. From a bullied, dyslexic, messy, freckle-faced, klutzy pixie, Lisa Loving Dalton grew into a statuesque and skillful stuntwoman, actor, director, teacher, author, filmmaker, leadership, and life coach. She is going to share her adventure story with us today. Welcome to my show, Lisa. Thank you so much, James, for inviting me on. Yes, it's such a pleasure. You know, I was going through the roster this week, and I saw that you were on deck, and I was so excited because I've never talked to a stuntwoman before, so I was really excited to hear how you got into the business and what, what you've done with your life. So this is going to be a thrill for me. Very excited to be chatting with you and sharing all of that. Wonderful. You have a lot of life lessons I'm looking forward for you to teach my listeners today. Mm-hmm. But I, what I wanted to do was just kind of maybe get a little bit of backstory of you. Um, so as being a stuntwoman, a very uh, prominent stuntwoman, is that something you always knew you wanted to be? No, actually, it came upon me kind of in a surprising way, but um, as a direct evolution of some of the elements that you mentioned in the introduction, Uh um, as a kid, I was so severely klutzy and um, my dyslexia was undiagnosed, which Mm. contributed to being klutzy with numbers and and letters as well, you know, as, as physically. But I was also extraordinarily tenacious and a super tomboy. Mm. So um, I was sort of hell bent on exceeding any limitations of the physical form and especially anyone who tried to limit what a girl ought to be able to be doing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I had to be on the football team. I had to be, you know, the highest climber in the tree fort, even if I fell off. It proved to be um, practice, 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 Mm -hmm. because I did fall down so much I had to learn how to do it without killing myself. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And I really did love uh, the very physical world. And at the same time, I was exposed by some of my school environment opportunities to performing. And I was hooked. And so I just wanted to do physical things on the stage with an audience. Uh-huh. And that kind of stuck with me. So I, I kind of just kept doing that. I, I remember in fifth grade, one of the teachers writing on the board, self-discipline. And and I remember looking at that and going, that's my word, whatever mm. else is going on, that's my word. She was also one of the first people who you know, just like 10 years ago, I found my, my school notes. Um, mm. And she wrote in there about how I was reversing my numbers. It took, 
you know, many years to sort of overcome this. It's so little by little, I uh, just kept um, diving into what I feared instead of running away from it. Mm-hmm. And um, and by the time I got to college, I was just a super nobody in the theater department after being sort of a, a little superstar in my high school <laughs> department. And it was because my college department went into the very sort of internal self self resourcing uh, approaches to acting, and I was used to all this physical activity, sure. and so you know it was the seventies. So I just went out and made theater in the streets and in the parks and the quads, and and was drawn to the gymnastics, the stage combat, um, the acrobatics, and all the physical avant-garde forms of theater, Grotowski and wild, crazy yoga, let's do it in the woods kind of 70s stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And I wound up, uh, after I graduated, you know, blessedly, I had one great teacher at my college who said, this was the wrong place. You need to go over to this program where they feature avant-garde theaters Hmm. uh, from New York at American University in Washington, D.C. So there I got to study with some extraordinary uh, avant-garde artists and moved to New York. And within two weeks of getting there, I got into a brand new theater company. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) With the um, with the La Mama Theater, and it was an avant-garde company that did all the juggling, circus arts, uh, stilt walking, musician acrobatics, and um, you know, James, I just want to mention the company is Bond Street Theater, and forty years later, they're celebrating their fortieth anniversary. Oh, wow, and- that's amazing. It's really amazing. Very few theater companies sustain themselves, and they spend most of their time doing theater, uh, educating and uplifting people in Afghanistan, Myanmar, Haiti. Uh, They were, you know, anywhere where there's refugee refugee camps in, you know, Bosnia, Slovenia, Serbia, wherever, um, doing extraordinary work. That's amazing. Well, I want to go back for a second. When you had the, the professor uh, at the previous college you were in, they said that they wanted you, thought you would fit in better with, with more of the avant-garde one at American University. How was that for you? Because you had this, this idea that you wanted to do something with acting, and, um, and then for them to tell you that maybe it wasn't the right fit. How did you internalize that? Uh, actually, it was such a relief. Because, oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, it was. It was. She was actually in my senior year, so I went to American U for grad. Oh, uh, just, okay. Just for a couple semesters of grad school, but I, you know, it at a major university in a major theater department for four years. The total experience that I had on the main stage was playing a stage mother in Gypsy for 25 seconds and Venus on the half shell for another 27 seconds over four years. That was the extent of my onstage main main stage experience. I mean, I was a complete non-entity. How disappointing. It was very traumatic for me. I did suffer uh, quite a bit of low esteem. Uh, I mean, seriously low esteem. Uh, Of course, all of that factors in my recovery and it does factor into what happened to me as my career went forth because with Bond Street, I was with them for four years and it was a very powerful 
uh, company, but I got married after four years and I didn't want to travel overseas anymore. And I wanted to make a living because we were just making ends meet. And, um, and I had, you know, I'd found a man who, who loved me and cared for me and helped me get away from me. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. Um, but he, um, and he wanted to make sure I did what I loved as an actor. And, um, and I got an opportunity to be a stand-in on a movie. Oh. And that the stand-in position is the position where you stand there while they fix the lights and fix the camera focus. And then when the star is ready, the star steps into position and does the scene. And so they hire stand-ins who look as much like or have the hair coloring and and height and weight as the star. So I was hired to stand in for Tina Louise from Gilligan's Island. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she played Ginger. Ginger, yeah, I remember her. <laughs> oh, yes, Gilligan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, neat. And yeah, and so, um, and during that, they also needed me to photo double uh, another actress who is named Julie Haggerty, and she also was one of those soft-spoken actresses who played an airplane. Oh, she was yeah. yeah. The airplane attendant. Yeah. She was, oh, oh Ted. <laughs> That's right. I love that movie. The movie's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> the movie's rather. Yeah. yeah. And um, as a photo double, a person is actually the person seen on the screen, but you're so far away, they can't really tell it's not the star. And um, she spent, her character spent about three weeks in the backseat of a car having been kidnapped. And the two kidnappers, one was played by the actual stunt coordinator. And I found out who that was because I was being the passenger and so he's the person who designs all the stunts, hires the stunt players wow. and creates just sort of the director of safety and of designing the stunts and his passenger was an unknown actor named Ed O'Neill Oh, what? <laughs> wow <laughs> uh, You know, you know uh, married with children yeah. and uh, of course uh, modern family Modern family, yeah you could imagine Ed and this guy, um, the stunt coordinator, they were very funny. So we had so much fun. And during those three weeks, I just picked the brains of the stunt coordinator. Maybe doing stunts would help me get more acting parts. Okay, that makes sense. And lo and behold, <laughs> at the end of the film, they needed three stunt women at one time, and he didn't have enough stunt women available to him. And so he hired me, and that led to the next jobs and, and launched my career. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And you've worked with some of the greats like Meryl Streep, uh, Daryl Hannah, uh, Sean Connery, Justin Hoffman, Michelle Pfeiffer, Robert Williams, Robert Downey Jr., Liam Neeson, Cher even. I mean, there's so many people you worked with. How was that for you to kind of interact with those people on a, on a daily basis? You know, James, it really was interesting because I always sort of held, I got to meet, actually, I, I met Martin Luther King. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the morning that he did his I Have a Dream speech oh at the March gosh. of Washington. Wow. Yeah. And I remember shaking his hand 
and him sort of looking straight into me and he was sitting down at a table for breakfast and we were at the hotel where he was eating breakfast and my dad introduced us and and I remember meeting him eye to eye because he was sitting and and looking into this incredibly great man and feeling the warmth of his humanity and knowing <clears throat> no matter how great you are that you are a, a human with warmth wow and I carried that with me, and it worked. I mean, meeting all those incredibly great people, uh, Lucille Ball, who had, I had admired for eons, and Carol, Carol Burnett. Oh, my Mary gosh, yeah. Moore. <laughs> you know, they were, yeah. Yeah, they were my three, like, great female comedian inspirations. And I was really cool, but I have to admit, I totally lost it. <laughs> When I met Catherine Hepburn. Oh my gosh! Of course you would. It's Catherine. <laughs> I I was shaking, and I was kind of embarrassed because I was like, she has to feel my hand quivering oh. in her in her hand, and of course she had that nervous tremor, and and I was like, I hope that there's no like, this doesn't feel like I'm. You know, <laughs> Being disrespectful or something. Oh, I just, no. I just, just made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. And I was just like, oh, you know, how, but she was so gracious. Uh, of course, and, it's Catherine. Yeah, of course she was. But, but I, I was still sort of shaking for several hours afterwards. I was like, oh my God, I met Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so neat. That is, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. I love, I love that lesson that you learned before you started to work with all those people as far as what Martin Luther taught you. Just, I mean, what an amazing, phenomenal man. Um, yes. But just how, to, how he just translated that to you and how you, you learned that lesson in just a short, brief interaction with him. Yes, yes. It was like a, an incredible transmission from yeah. a, a very powerful person. So uh, it's, it's held me well. <laughs> yes, of course it has. Yeah. Well, I wanted to switch gears here for a second. So then, you know, you did all that for so long, and then you found that it just wasn't really fitting for you. And your, I guess your heart's desire was to, was to be uh, maybe on stage more, maybe in front of the camera. So how did you make that transition there? It was an interesting process because... What I did was during the whole time that I was a stunt woman, I was also entertaining in uh, the gala affair market as a comedian, as a, an impersonator. I impersonated Madonna and um, I impersonated Marilyn Monroe and Mae West and some of the other blondes. <laughs> and uh, and I so I was making a lot of money between the two uh, fields. So with all of that money, um, during the weeknights, I was producing theater that I was acting in. Wow. So I was continually, uh, continually performing on stage. And I also had found like one month, the very month after I left Bond Street and did the stunt work, I got cast in a play with no dialogue. Oh, gosh. For, right. For, um, uh, actresses who were mimes they were looking for a mime trained actress and but we didn't do any mime we actually used full props and everything but we had to sort of do these things like radiate or imagine we were pushing somebody across the room to get them out of the house or w whatever we we had to do all this energy work mm -hmm. Uh, sending energy signals and from an NLP perspective, uh, you, you, one could see a lot of things in it where your eye focus might go. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
which way you might tilt your head left or right to indicate something. And so uh, this whole whole dramatic story and having played usually this powerful sort of, you know, wicked witch type of character, I played a neurotic um, spinsterly character, frail character. Mm. And for my Zoftig and statuesque uh, body, it was quite a transformation. Sure was. And it was the most amazing work I'd ever done. And mm. I just became obsessed with learning that technique. It turned out it was Michael Chekhov's acting technique, mm-hmm. and it was obscure, a technique developed by uh, uh, the nephew of the Russian playwright. And uh, Chekhov himself was an Oscar-nominated uh, actor and coach in Hollywood who coached Marilyn Monroe and Gary Cooper and all these amazing people. But what he was doing was so ahead of its time using powerful visualization, using energy management, prana, uh, all sorts of Mm -hmm. things that were being able to instantly totally shift your entire being into a whole nother character and be unrecognizable. That's fascinating. Um, And so... Uh, I mean, you see this in some of the great actors that, uh, like Meryl Streep, um, who can transform so fully, and uh, Johnny Depp or Anthony Hopkins, and pe- great people can really transform fully using a lot of these ideas. So I became very focused on that, and and took classes and training in that when I wasn't working. And it helped me become a really good stunt woman, able to double people who were much bigger or very different sizes, much smaller, uh, like getting to double Madonna on Saturday Night Live. And um, those sorts of opportunities came to me because of the acting training. At At the same time, the acting training was really awakening my need to share it, my need to teach it, and my need to spread it around the world. And I was uh, told by that that stunt mentor who got me started that if I stayed in stunts longer than five years, it would limit my acting opportunities. And I'd gone past that. I was finally, uh, well, I got really caught up in the ego of being a top (laughs) stunt woman, making a lot of money. I'm sure you know, oh, you're the great blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, you've leapt tall buildings and crashed cars on cue and yeah. motorcycles and, you know, fallen off bridges and been shot, slashed, et cetera. It's a very unique thing. And it's it, so I, I got sort of sucked into the ego of it and I ignored the messages to stop mm. and to do what I really was supposed to do, which was focus on my acting career as a living and focus on my teaching of this work and I in 87 I lost three friends three stunt friends were killed over a period of four months oh my gosh so sorry yeah I knew I was supposed to quit after a year and a half and my husband begging me to quit and trust and quit and have faith I I did quit and then six months later I decided to give up my apartment in uh in it was uh, in Fort Lee, New Jersey at that time. And so the night before I flew back to hire the movers, my friends called and said, we hear you're going to be here. We need you to do this one job, just a simple little rappelling off a cliff 
Uh, it's right down the street from your apartment. You're, you're already coming in, and the girl who was going to do it is going to be in Los Angeles. It must be destiny. Mm. And you'll earn, you know, $431. It'll pay for your airfare. And I said yes. And that was the stunt that went awry. Uh, I was rappelling off a cliff, and the rope was not anchored properly, and it slipped off a corner, and I gained about 25 feet in length, and I crashed back and forth like a pendulum between two sides of a cliff. Banging my my spine and my head, and um, I was undiagnosed for a year. They kept telling me nothing was wrong with me, but I couldn't walk. I was completely bedridden. I was in chronic and severe pain, um, periods of paralysis, and finally, uh, after a year, I went to a third doctor. Uh, that the studio provided me, and I, I camped out. I refused to leave the doctor's office. They brought security in, uh, some big, you know, six foot five, three hundred pound guy. I said, "You better get two more, just like you, because <laughs> what it's going to take to get me out of here until someone tells me what's wrong." <clears throat> And finally, the doctor figured out that he needed to take X-rays of me while I was bent over and arched. Because everything, all the films they'd done of my back showed me laid out perfectly oh, straight. Yeah. So they couldn't see there. Yeah, of course. What was happening was the, the bones were moving around, sort of crushing the spinal cord, crushing the nerves every time I turned, twisted, arched, oh my gosh. et cetera. And they said, well, that's, that's a permanent loss of use that's a permanent disability and after four years the california courts awarded me a 46 percent permanent loss of use and um, uh, that was uh, the injury was december 7th 1989 and so uh, over that period um first uh, those three doctors affirming that this was a permanent disability um also said, don't do surgery until you cannot exist without it because it's too dangerous, won't guarantee that it'll solve any of your problems. And so for 24 years, I worked with various alternative means of being able to function, and I did. And everything oh, congratulations. That, and all the NLP and all the visualization, all the alternative healing approaches that I learned uh, revealed to me why the acting technique that had been underground mm. was yeah. so effective. That's and amazing. it led me to teaching in London, in, in Moscow, in Berlin, in Paris, in Brussels, all over the world. Wow. And becoming a, a master teacher and making documentaries about the film work, about the the. Uh, acting technique and and now I mentor teachers all over the world in sharing this work and they're reaching thousands and thousands of people uh, helping people become uh, healthier actors healthier performers healthier storytellers healthier role models that's amazing Lisa so that's wonderful. That's Congratulations. That, that's, that's, so, that's amazing. It really is. And we're going to have to wrap up here in just a second, but I want to talk about your book, Falling for the Stars, A Stunt Gal's Tattletale. So tell, tell us a little bit more about that book. Uh, I've got about 40-some pictures and 40-some uh, 
chapters talking about these uh, incidents with all these amazing stars that you mentioned, um, you know, how wonderful and special things that Cher and Madonna and uh, Meryl Streep did for me and uh, just the extraordinary uh, tasks of you know leaping tall buildings, etc. And I've got a a fun crossword puzzle uh, that if you read the book, you can figure out the answers to it. And I've got <laughs> Dal- Dalton's bias dictionary, which explains all the different roles and positions on the films. Oh, indeed. Yeah, and it talks about an amazing film I did, a, a, a cult film called Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Okay. Uh, where I play a really nasty. Uh, Nasty, nasty gang member. And, oh, really? Uh, so yeah. different from who you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, but this film, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, it, it's a cult film that inspires people to find the strength within themselves with a great Motown soundtrack. Oh, wow. And it's, you know, martial arts meets uh, Karate Kid. And it is the one that. People come up to me today when they find out that I was in it and they've been inspired and had their lives changed by this movie. And they tell me that my role as a nasty bitch, and I have like five lines, Uh um, changed their lives. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. That really is. Yeah. That's what we do this for. Yes, exactly. And that's what, you know. Falling for the Stars, which you can get at my website, which is lisadalton.com, or on Amazon, where it was a number one bestseller. Um, it shares all of that. Uh, the, it, it's, uh, there's little life lessons in every single chapter. Wonderful. Um, some are little, some are deeper. Yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. What I'm going to do is I'm also in my um, the store that I have on my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com. I will link it through to the Amazon website as well, so people can buy your book through my website to Amazon. Beautiful. That's wonderful, Jay. Wonderful. Thank you. So, Lisa, if people want to find out more information about you, where would they find your information online again? LisaDalton.com. Wonderful. Well, Lisa, once again, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on my show today. Thank you so much. Thank you, James. You're an amazing host. Thank you. I also want to thank you, my listener, for joining with me today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with me. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for my newsletter, enroll in the Lifeology Academy, watch my YouTube episodes, and read all the articles I've written just for you. If you'd like to become a guest or advertise on my show, simply visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. You may also follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Have a fantastic day, and I look forward to speaking with you very soon.